This is Gippsland Today. A podcast made for Gippsland, Bass Coast and the Latrobe Valley with breaking news, interviews and local information that matters to you. And now, here's your host, Orion Kelly. Welcome to Gippsland Today and thank you so much for taking the time to listen. I'm Orion Kelly. And my aim is to provide you with all the news, interviews and information that matters to Gippsland. If you're a local organisation, community group, concerned citizen or you simply want to share a news tip with me, please join the conversation by emailing me at gippslandtoday at outlook.com. This is Gippsland Today with Orion Kelly. Providing Gippsland with better access to our local representatives and power brokers is a key aim of Gippsland today. Rather than small news bites, I'll have genuine conversations with those that represent us at the local, state and federal level. Today, my guest is the state member for Morwell, Russell North. Mr North, thanks for joining me on Gippsland today. My pleasure, Ryan, and good luck with uh, your venture. I'm sure it'll be very exciting and uh, of much interest to Gippsland listeners. Now, before we get into uh, some of the kind of topics of the day, I just wanted to briefly reflect on the the 2018 state election campaign and congratulate you on your re-election. Yeah, thank you very much. It uh, seems so long ago now. It really does. Um, yeah, it does. I mean, look, it was a very tense time. It's, it's not easy uh, going into an election, particularly when we had... 11 candidates, and it, it uh, was widely tipped to be very close, and we didn't know re- the result for a number of days. So, but um, ultimately, eventually, uh, absolutely thrilled and humbled and honoured to be re elected to represent this great community in the parliament. And um, yeah, it's certainly been a busy time since then as well. Can I say, just, just, from, just from a personal point of view, from the time I've worked with you, this is one of the things that everyone should take note of in life. In life, uh, nothing is uh, nothing is smooth. You you live your life. That's what life's about. And some people uh, get up and achieve, and some people stay down and quit. And what you've been able to achieve uh, and be re-elected and where you are now, from personal point of view, I think it's uh, it, I think it's fantastic. And it just shows people if anyone's listening, it doesn't matter um, your past. What matters is where you're going to go, what you're going to do. You take responsibility uh, for your, for you know, for your future and make it happen. So, so congratulations and good on you. I think it's a, I think it's a great story for everyone. No, well, thank you. And and look, um, my personal journey's been uh, well highlighted um, out in the public, and that hasn't been easy. And um, I think back to um, how low I'd, I'd got at um, certain parts of my life, particularly over the last couple of years, and. Yeah, look, with encouragement of a lot of people and I've had some wonderful people around me and family and friends and have helped uh, to, to get me back off the ground and that's where I've, I've been blessed. Um, uh, we all have challenges in life of varying degrees and uh, life can be damn hard sometimes and um, most people in their life will experience some, some down times and uh, as I say, they're all varying degrees. But, um, yeah, I, I think we're a great community more generally in that um, when somebody is down or events or issues happen, uh, there's so many people around uh, there to assist and I've been blessed in that regard. And, um, you know, you see it in recent events like the fires we've experienced in our region. Uh, you just see the best of people come out wanting to, to help 
And I think that's the, the general thing, and that's why Gippsland's a great community to live in. Absolutely. Well said. All right, so let's uh, move on to some of the, the topics of the day. So as, as you're well aware, in the last week or so, we've had some crime statistics figures put out by yeah. the Crime Statistics Agency. They're key figures for, in effect, you know, the year 2018. Now, with regards to the five uh, local government areas, so obviously we're talking kind of shires here with the highest criminal incident rates, uh, Latrobe is, is number two, uh, only behind, you know, obviously the local government area of Melbourne. Now, the yeah. highest criminal rates... Um, the incident rates are up 6.4% and the highest recorded offence rates, again, number two, only behind Melbourne, up 8.9%. So what's your what's your thoughts and re- reflection on, and we have this chat virtually every year, but what's your thoughts and reflection on those figures? Yeah, well, it's certainly a statistic that we don't want to be up near the top of the tree. And as you quite rightly point out, um, the, the offences uh, per resident, um, Latrobe sits in number two behind Melbourne on some of those key areas. And look, it's a really tough thing. I, I must say, first, first and foremost, I have the utmost respect from our uh, policemen and women. And I have some very close friends in the force and I know how hard they work and I know the challenges that they're confronted with. Um, and they do a great job with the resources they have. So I'll say that's the first point. Um, this, the second point is obviously uh, those who are offending. I think it's uh, when you do reside in a, a high unemployment area, like unfortunately Latrobe is at the moment, you do um, see a higher incidence of, of crime. Um, and, and that's not something to be proud of. And I think each and every single one of us who live within the community uh, make sure that you know, we, we have expectations of people doing the right thing. Unfortunately, there's a lot of people who don't, um, and that's a really sad thing. But also, you could look at it in another positive way and say, well, at least you know, police are doing their job. They're actually charging people with offences. They're out and about um, in the field, uh, making sure that people are held accountable for their actions. And uh, within that, unfortunately, again, let's say it has a very high instance of family violence and domestic violence and and a lot of it unfortunately is generational and somehow we're just going to find ways and means to to break that particular habit it's a it's an awful insidious habit um and uh, we've got to be better as, as a community and stand up and say enough's enough so there's a whole range of things i guess there are ryan that, yeah. that i've said hopefully police are doing their job but um, and making sure that people are held account if they are breaking the law. But, but second, I'd also say too that making sure that uh, our, our police do have the resources that uh, that uh, are available to them and making sure they can do their job to their utmost capacity. The Latrobe City Shire isn't operating in a vacuum. It, also, in the top five is the Mildura Shire. So we have to <clears> we have to keep in mind there's there are there are similarities here, and you you pointed to some being yeah. uh, employment opportunities, and we'll get to that. But firstly, just to talk about that point, I, I totally agree with regards to you know, mental health issues, addiction issues, yeah. which which often go hand <clears> in hand, uh, family violence issues. Uh, there are there are clearly access to service, potentially access to service issues or ways we can improve access to service, uh, you know, access to rehabilitative services, et cetera, uh, within the community. Um, clearly, you've pointed it out yourself. So you, you obviously are of the view that there's, with, with regards to family violence, mental health addiction, these are things yeah. we, we, we simply must better address or provide improved access to. Is that is that something you were kind of pointing towards? 
Yeah, exactly. And, and look, uh, as you mentioned, the drug offences are very high for um, our region, and that, and that's a, another sad indictment. And and look, police can only do so much. I think that's the other point to make. Um, it's a whole of community approach that we find better ways and means to reduce the incidence of family violence, but also saying no to, to drugs. I mean, drug offences have escalated over the last um, five or six years, and and, and again, as you quite rightly say, it's not uh, we're not immune to it just here. It's, it's other regional centres of Victoria that are experiencing um, significant problems as well. But we've got to have services that that match that as well, um, making sure that um, those who are subject to domestic violence have somewhere to go, that they have supports and services in, in place. And I think we're doing a reasonable job <laughs> job of that uh, in terms of drug and alcohol offences, um, you know, I, I firmly believe that we could do a lot more in making sure there are better services and options for people who are dealing with um, drug habits and drug addictions. And maybe um, when they, they come across the courts, um, I'm not sure enough's been done in the courts to making sure or mandate or require uh, people who have drug problems in getting the help that they need. We certainly have a lack of uh, residential facilities um, for people who have drug and alcohol problems um, within the region. Uh, the government has announced a, a youth facility for the code, which is positive. Um, there is a facility building being built in East Gippsland, which is it, it's um, more from uh, a community perspective. But we certainly need more and more beds in the region to cater for. Uh, what is, well, I'd call it a crisis with uh, people who are um, addicted to drugs in our community. Absolutely. And, you know, potentially <coughs> some uh, some more funding and some improvements or expansions in the Dandenong Drug Court, which absolutely uh, has a catchment. So uh, yes. talking about e- employment, um, you did speak in Parliament recently, and I guess this really goes to the core of employment issues about the Victorian renewable energy targets and, uh, you know, in effect, yes. the impact um, it would have to, uh, with further reductions and, you know, the, with the capacity of Latrobe Valley power stations and talking about the implications not only for the economy and the community, but also the operators who, you know, at this point, actually have licences to operate beyond the 50% target of 2030. So tell, yeah. us, tell us a bit more about where you sit with, um, with, with what's going on with regards to uh, you know, the government's policy and also the, how this is going to further impact the area. Yeah, well, look, I've heard a few people over time, I guess, uh, legitimately question how a renewable energy target will work for Victoria and where the power stations in the Tray Valley fit within that. And I think it's a legitimate question. So the question I asked in Parliament is pretty much as outlined, and that was to say, well, at the moment, coal and gas account for approximately um, 80% of Victoria's electricity needs. Um, if by 2030 you're going to mandate a 50% renewable energy target, then, of course, um, coal and gas have to be uh, under that 50%. And, and, and so what does that mean for our power stations who, who have licences to operate beyond 2030? Uh, will they be forced to close? Will they um, be required by the government to shut down units uh, so they can meet their renewable energy target? So I think they're valid, legitimate questions that have been posed. Um, and unfortunately, we really haven't got an answer from the government how that will work. So it, it's all good well on one hand to announce a renewable energy target, and I'm not saying they're bad things, 
but what it means for particular sectors and for particular communities, and in our case, our power station, what does that mean? I think that's a really important and valid question to ask, and, and, and we need to know how the government's going to manage that. So let's say, for example, that, um, I don't know, by 2029, um, coal and gas are still accounting for 65% of Victoria's electricity needs. They've still got uh, licences to operate uh, beyond 2030. How is that going to be managed? Um, is there going to be forced closure? Um, so, you know, people who work in the industry are asking these questions of me. Um, you know, the reality is there's some people who are working at your lawn power station, you know, biting their fingernails and saying, well, you know, I haven't been there a hell of a long time. And, you know, am I better off shifting jobs or looking at other opportunities at other power stations that might be there longer? That's the reality of the situation. So hopefully the government will provide more information on how exactly this will work and give some confidence and certainty to those who work within the industry. Time has marched on since <coughs> the Hazelwood closure. There's no question <coughs> about that. Uh, you know, two, uh, is it, so we're two years on, I believe. So how do you, two years on, how yeah. do you, uh, how do you kind of assess the situation today, two years on? Yeah, look, it, it's an interesting question. I, I guess it's, in some sense you could say, well, it, it could be a lot worse. And I guess in some sectors you could say it, uh, it could be a bit better. I mean, you try and look forward, not not backwards, um, I guess. But, um, you know, I'm still very frustrated now with the fact that Hazelwood Power Station was allowed to close in such a short time frame. Uh, I mean, for, for an industry and a sector, an employer to close its door within six months and hundreds and hundreds of people impacted, um, you know, that's not easy to, to manage. Um, the reality is, look, there's some good news stories and certainly some power station workers have transferred into jobs within uh, other power stations in Montreux Valley. That's fantastic. Although I will say on that point as I digress, but um, uh, it was promised that 150 workers would be transferred into other jobs or other employment within their local power stations. Uh, we're about at 80, I think, uh, and not 150. And we're two years down the track. So I know there's some frustration from um, em- employees who did work with Hazelwood as, as direct employees or contractors who are a bit frustrated that um, that target of 150 has not been met two years down the track. And I say that on the point that uh, I'm still in regular contact with many. And some of those people are working part-time or casually um, or they're working interstate away from their families. And, and that's a that's a consequence of Hazelwood closure, and it's been a difficult time for many of those people. The other thing I would say is that uh, I know not everybody walked out of Hazelwood um, on that day, but the reality is, since that time, you've got less disposable income within our community and in our economy. That's the facts. That's the reality. So when you've got people. Um, earning less money and not as much disposable income around, of course, that's going to have an impact upon local traders and local retailers. And unfortunately, many of those businesses have done it tough and are doing it tough. Um, and that's the reality of, of the of the fact. So, um, yeah, it could, it could be better. Um, it, it could have been worse, I guess. But we're a resilient community and hopefully over time that we can create more and more jobs and 
and uh, ensure that our, our local economy is strong moving forward. You fought really hard for the Hazelwood Pondage, there's no question about that. What yes. are the local organisations and community members <clears throat> telling you? About? Well, precisely that. <laughs> um, yeah, look, it, it, it's really disappointing. And I think in the whole, whole um, notion of Hazelwood power station closing, it was, it was always going to be the risk that the Pondage would close as well. I mean, it's an iconic feature of our local community. Uh, local families and boating enthusiasts and yachting enthusiasts have, have used that particular body of water for, for decades. Um, to simply let it close uh, would, would be devastating. I mean, it's just, it's not good enough. Now, I know on G, um, the power station don't have an interest in, in using the body of water. It's not in there remit to provide a recreational body of water and I understand that. Um, so my view is we really need to um, ask the state government to step in and take over the ownership of the pondage. Um, uh, Angie have articulated that there's some issues with the integrity of the walls um, but I, what I would say to that is well they're obviously not insurmountable problems they can be remediated um, and, you know, I've just been contacted by people from all over the place. I mean, I've been contacted by people from Melbourne who came up here and, and used the Pondy Tour so disappointed. There's obviously campers on site who can no longer um, use the Pondy Tour. They're, they're disappointed. And so many locals, whether it's with Valley Yacht Club, um, whether it's just recreational users, um, community groups, businesses, tourism organisations, they're all of the same opinion that we just can't can't let this uh, body of water die. Um, let's try and uh, have it reopened. Let's remediate it if it needs to be done, and and allow um, current and future generations to use to use this body of water. It, it's so vital, vital and critical to to our region. Well, finally, just a quick update. You called on the state government to continue to provide funding for the leadership program, the you know the Gippsland Community yes. Leadership Program. Uh, any yes. update? Any update on that? No, we haven't. We haven't got an update. I mean, I'm hopeful that um, the state government is in May, so hopefully we'll receive some positive news at the time. Uh, what I would say is that um, uh, there's a number of programs that are uh, locally related and statewide related to regional um, programs. Uh, this is one, and uh, I, I, I would think that it would be a very unwise government that did not provide further funding towards the program uh, because it's been so important to the region for for so many years now. In actual fact, dating back to 1996 from memory. And it's been a very successful program. I mean, the participants, I've not heard one person um, speak ill of the program that's been run and the benefits that people have derived have, have been enormous. So... I'm, I'm confident the state government will do the right thing, but nonetheless, I think it's important to raise and making sure that we've got on the record that uh, we're watching uh, very closely, um, but hopefully some good news uh, in the not-too-distant future for this, and certainly for the program moving forward. No doubt. Uh, Sophie Morrill from uh, you know Committee for Gippsland will be <laughs> fighting hard for it. We'll hope that we'll, uh, right. we'll keep our fingers crossed. Well, look, we really do um, appreciate it. Thank you so much for being a part of Gippsland today. I really do appreciate your time. Yeah, very much, I appreciate it, mate. Thank you. Gippsland Today News. Federal member for Gippsland, Darren Chester, says he has again written to Victoria's Premier to urge him to commit funding to complete the Princess Highway duplication between Tarragon and Sale. 
Mr Chester's letter to Mr Andrews in January to ask the state government to allocate its share of the money for the duplication project to prevent it coming to a standstill remains unanswered. Mr Chester has written to the Premier a second time saying the Victorian government's failure to announce an allocation of $33 million, Victoria's share of the funding required to complete the $165 million project, is extremely disappointing for all Gippslanders. Mr Chester says this failure has meant the highest priority regional road project in Victoria's east has now stalled. Since 2010, nine sections of highway have been duplicated, with $210 million from the Australian government and $50 million from the Victorian government. In May last year, the federal government announced its 80% share of $132 million of the estimated cost to finish the project. Mr Chester says State Minister for Roads, Jala Pulford, visited Gippsland two weeks ago to talk publicly about highway roadworks, but again, no funding announcement was forthcoming. Mr Chester says, I fear there'll be avoidable losses of life and serious injuries on the unduplicated sections if the project is not completed as soon as possible. Quite simply, it will be a disgrace if this important project was left unfinished for the sake of $33 million. South Gippsland Shire Council has released the 2019-20 proposed annual budget. There's a number of vital projects for the South Gippsland Shire community and Of the 2019-20 proposed annual budget, there are some big spending budget items. $5.6 million for road reseals and other road improvements. $4.4 million for the Merbu North Pool redevelopment. $2.7 million for the now fully funded Leongatha Business Precinct project in Bear Street. $2.6 million for the Karambara Community Hub Project, $1.9 million to extend and enhance the Great Southern Rail Trail, plus an additional 57 k for ongoing maintenance, $1.7 million for building renewals and upgrades, $1.1 million for pool renewals at Leongatha, Tura and Foster, an extra $910,000 for road maintenance, including $414,000 for gravel resheeting, There's $901,000 for footpath extensions and $250,000 has been put aside for a new toilet block and improved car parking at the Port Welshpool Long Jetty. South Gippsland Shire Mayor Don Hill says council has been able to increase funding for gravel roads to the tune of $1 million and also the rail trail maintenance of $2 million, all without cutting any existing services, or raise rates above the mandated CPI levels. Submissions for the 2019-20 proposed annual budget can be made. There's a few ways. You can email your submission to submission at southgippsland.vic.gov.au or if you'd like to do it via snail mail, you can write to the Chief Executive Officer, South Gippsland Shire Council, Private Bag 4, Leongatha, Victoria, 3953. Though, make sure it arrives before 5pm on Friday, April 26. Motorists along the Streslecky Highway and local residents have welcomed the Federal Coalition Government's announcement of a new mobile tower at Berries Creek to boost phone reception. Nationals member for Gippsland South, Danny O'Brien, congratulated his Federal colleagues, Senator Bridget McKenzie, Minister for Regional Services, and Russell Broadbent, member for Macmillan, soon to be Monash, for delivering on a much-needed black spot boost which is funded with support from the state government. Mr O'Brien says Berries Creek has been an issue for thousands of travellers along the Streslecky Highway as a noted dropout point, and this new tower will boost safety and improve communications for all travellers and local residents around the Berries Creek area. 
Mr O'Brien says the federal government, with support from state government funding, has put around 20 new towers up in the Gippsland South electorate in the past four years, including at Kongwak, Dumbork, Arawatta, improving telecommunications for country people. Mr O'Brien says we in South Gippsland have some difficult terrain to ensure good mobile service, but the commitment of the federal Liberal Nationals government to the Black Spot program has been fantastic. Bass Coast Chai Council says their roads are in a better condition now than they were in 2014, following a full condition survey of Council's road network completed in 2018. The survey was completed as part of the development of Bass Coast Council's new road asset management plan, which was adopted at the last Council meeting. A key focus in the development of the plan was to provide improved accessibility, safer roads for both vehicles and pedestrians, and improved amenity and livability. The object of the plan is to ensure that Council's road network can service users today and into the future. The plan identified that the replacement cost of the Council's road infrastructure assets is $420 million, and the cost of annual management is around $3.3 million. In adopting the plan, Council has noted that there was a level of misperception within the community when determining which roads are managed by Council regional roads, Victoria and Vic roads. Though better communication and education by council will help and you could learn more about which roads are managed by which organisation at basscoast.vic.gov.au slash maps. The Nationals member for Eastern Victoria, Melina Bath, says she has pressed the Andrews Labor government to establish an inquiry into state laws to better protect farmers from animal activism, trespass and livestock theft. Ms Bath moved the motion in the Victorian State Parliament Upper House and says current legislation is insufficient and it is imperative that Victorian farmers' right to farm is protected. Ms Bath says we are seeking legislative change so activists who break the law on law-abiding Victorian farms are suitably penalised. Our farmers must be able to work without harassment, intimidation or theft. Parliamentary petition calls for the urgent need for protection of law-abiding farmers from activists. It addresses concerns around breaches in farm biosecurity, livestock theft, trespass and damage on Victorian farms as a result of activism. Ms Bath says, I am delighted with the support and passion our community has demonstrated for our farmers. This petition will send a clear message to the Andrews Labor government to support our farmers and protect their right to farm. The petition can be signed online at parliament.vic.gov.au. Member for Eastern Victoria, Harriet Shing, says the Andrews government is continuing to back Gippsland women in sport through the second round of the 2018-19 Change Our Games scholarship program. The program creates opportunities for women to pursue leadership and development opportunities throughout the sporting and active recreation sector. Ms Shing says that local clubs and sporting bodies are encouraged to identify emerging female leaders within their sporting community for the scholarship program. Scholarships range from $2,000 to $10,000 and applications are submitted on behalf of individuals by state sport and recreation bodies, regional sports assemblies and local government authorities. The Change Our Game scholarship program is part of the Labor government's commitment to increase the number of women and girls in off-field decision-making roles across all levels of the Victorian sport and active recreation sector. The grants are part of the broader $7.2 million Change Our Game initiative aimed at levelling the playing field for women and girls in sport and recreation. Ms Ching says sport is often the lifeblood of our communities as it brings families and communities together like nothing else. 
We want more women involved so they can change the game and drive greater participation and leadership across the region. For more information about the Change Our Game scholarship program, you can visit sport.vic.gov.au. Well, over the next month, Borbor Shire Council will deliver approximately 75 kilometres of freshly sealed roads across the Shire as part of the annual road resealing program. Resealing works will take place along various sections of road across 17 towns to improve safety and access for road users, as well as improve key transport links for commerce and leisure activities. Fulton Hogan will carry out the works at a cost of $1.645 million. Borbor Shire Mayor Michaela Power says we're committed to investing in and improving our local road network to deliver safer and more reliable roads in all corners of our shire. For the full schedule of works, visit borborshire.vic.gov.au. And reconstruction work has begun to transform a 450-metre section of Bowen Street in Warrigal from Sutton Street to Clifford Street. Works will include construction of new and wider road pavements, fresh new asphalt and line marking, improved surface and underground drainage, and construction of new curb and channels. Road users will also benefit from better access to adjoining properties and improved roadside parking. Parking in Warrigal, it's a miracle. The project will cost $497,000 and works are expected for completion in mid-2019, weather permitting. From Warrigal to Wonthaggy, to Raugan, to Cows. This is Gippsland Today with Orion Kelly. Gippsland Today will provide you with all the news, interviews and information that matter to Gippsland, but I do need your help. So if you're a local organisation, community group, concerned citizen, or you simply want to share a news tip with me, please join the conversation by emailing me at gippslandtoday at outlook.com. That's gippslandtoday at outlook.com. Together, we can deliver Gippsland all the news and information that matters while providing you with better access to your local representatives at the local, state and federal level. Until the next episode of Gippsland Today, stay connected by liking the Orion Kelly page on Facebook. And thanks so much for listening to Gippsland Today. Thanks for listening to Gippsland Today with Orion Kelly. To stay up to date, join the conversation and never miss an episode. Just like the Orion Kelly page on Facebook.